0: Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's dot com. C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com
1: and start your trading journey today. Years later, we'd find a lot of these students who graduated went and got hired and got a job at the volunteers company and that they're wow. still in touch with this, this volunteer. So it's, it's something, you know, bigger than just a class that they're giving them. They become their role model. They become their mentor. <laughs>
0: Welcome to episode 10 of Conversations with Lulu. I'm Lulu Khazan. I'm an entrepreneur living in Dubai, an investor, a mother, and your host. My guest today is Dina Al-Mufti. Dina is an Egyptian entrepreneur whom I've had the pleasure to meet in 2016, as we were both part of the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Women Entrepreneurship Program, which was co-sponsored by the U.S. State Department. Dina founded Injaz Egypt. It's an NGO that works with the public and the private sectors to bring special programs and work readiness skills into schools and universities. Injaz has impacted the lives of 800,000 students. Injaz has also launched a startup incubator and has helped over 80 startups launch and scale in Egypt and the region. Dina has received numerous awards for her work, including the Young Achiever of the Year by Arabian Business in 2016, and was nominated as one of the world's most influential young Arabs under 40 by Arabian Business. Dina... Thank you so much for joining me.
1: What an been... honor to be on your podcast. I'm so <laughs> proud of you for launching it.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Dina. The honor is, the honor is mine. I've been a huge fan of you ever since we met in, uh, in the U.S. Oh. You know what I love about you is you're actually making impact. A lot of us, you know, can only hope to make impact uh, one way or the other but with you, you've, you know, you've touched the lives of, of 800,000 uh, students in Egypt. You, you do impact every day. So maybe I wanted to, to learn a bit more about uh, why did you do this? And, and, and you know, how did you get into Injaz? And,
1: and, and why kind of go down this path? Okay, so maybe like just thinking back and reflecting, you got me doing a lot of reflecting, <laughs> preparing for your podcast. And uh, it got me thinking, like, as a kid, I grew up in the Gulf. I actually grew up in Kuwait. And on every holiday, we'd come back to Egypt. And so I was always between, you know, the Gulf and and Egypt. And as a child, and in the mind of a child, I'd always see, wow, what is this huge difference between these two places where I live? Uh, You know, one, um, everything was pristine and clean and smooth and a very good education system and and schools were great and and just coming uh, to Egypt it's an explosive population right and uh and like crowds and as I grew obviously in school and then went to college and understood you know the socioeconomic gaps and all of that and and what triggers them and why that is I knew that I wanted to know create positive change and do something that was socially driven and um and so after college just a few years after college i had an opportunity to pilot in jazz in egypt and it was basically uh you know in jazz is part of a global organization called junior achievement and um and its programs are all about entrepreneurship uh, you know, spreading an entrepreneurial culture in schools and universities with young people, uh, spreading financial literacy, spreading work readiness skills and character building. So it was all about that. And I got really, really excited about this. Like, it really matched what I was looking for, you know, that passion to make an impact. And I really believed it was all about education to create change. So that's how kind of, you know, the opportunity came to me, how it all began. And, uh, my dad, who's, you know, very much a business leader was really confused. He's like, why would you set up an NGO with all this education that you have and, and earn a fraction of what you would make? the corporate world why would you do that you didn't get it that's a good question (laughs) and and as a 23 year old at the time you know that really wasn't the driver for me at all it was all about something that had an impact and would make a difference
0: money was not a driver for you as a 23 year old absolutely not, not
1: and that really really confused and troubled my dad like you don't know what you're doing but of course he saw like how insistent I was and how excited I was and of course my family was always incredibly supportive and gave me all their support.
0: You were fortunate to, uh, to do your uh, undergraduate and graduate in the U.S. Do
1: you feel that being part of this
0: environment helps you take more risks? Do you feel that we, we have this, we encourage students in our part of the world to uh, you know, not be the norm or do something different?
1: Uh, no, I also went to AUC as well, um, and so no, I don't feel, I, I don't feel like at university or your education system teaches you about you know taking risk. It's really innate, and if you're just following something you really really believe in, it just you know puts you in a state of flow, where honestly, I promise you, like it's like you're in synchronicity and just. Opportunities come and and things you know things happen. I mean, I had all the challenges in the world that you can possibly imagine in the beginning, starting this. So from day one, when I got the opportunity to launch this pilot, that same week I found out I was pregnant with my first daughter. Wow! At <laughs> I mean, right after yeah i mean uh we had me and my husband got married right after college and i started working and just when i got this opportunity i found that i was pregnant so i felt like uh, like i was having twins that year or something (laughs) and so i can't like i can't begin to tell you like the challenges of your you're pregnant and you're starting this new organization and the amount of permits and licenses and clearances that you have to do. I always say like starting up an NGO is probably a hundred times more difficult than launching a startup. So here I am, this you know, young girl in her twenties and I have to go to all these you know, bureaucratic agencies and meet with all these bureaucrats. And uh, they'd see me and take one look at me and go, who are you? Give me someone older to speak to. <laughs> and they wouldn't realize, there is no boss. This is what we're uh, you know, aiming to achieve in schools. And these are our programs. They're so amazing. They're global programs. We're giving them for free in the schools. And all we want is your uh, approval and acceptance for us to enter. <laughs> and give it in hisas and Nashat or like the activity lessons. And I'd go on and on and on like, and so half of these bureaucrats, would, you know, be so annoyed that this little kid is coming and asking them for for stuff and 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 they don't understand. like oh, they want to talk to someone senior, someone older. The other half of them wanted to know, you know, more social things, like, how old are you are you? and are, are you, you married? married? <laughs> you know, so so being young and a girl and you're going into this completely different culture, it's like you're an alien really and then another hurdle was the conspiracy theory what are these programs that you want to bring into schools what are you trying to teach these kids you know and we're like it's all about entrepreneurship and how to start your business and look they're going to learn skills on how to improve their characters and how to be ready for the world of work and on and on and on and they're like "Hmm." you know after a lot of time they would finally approve and then another hurdle with the security, getting security clearances from Amn dawla can you imagine? Uh, Who are you funded by? And, uh, you know, the conspiracy theory of are you funded by certain countries who have a hidden agenda? So, like, you have to go through all of this and just really convince them that honestly, like, with all honesty and all transparency, you're just there to, you know, deliver these programs that will be (laughs) so useful to these to these students and will really create a mind shift and will empower them and, you know, make it create an empowered generation. And I'd go on and on with my uh, pep talk to them and try and convince them.
0: How did you get them to take these meetings, actually? And how, how long did it take you? I mean, because you work with private sector, with, with government, with the schools. So this is only the the, the government hurdle. Yes, and that was so, really, so how did you get really the meeting? most
1: difficult. You have to know... Someone who knows someone who is in the ministry to get you a meeting and you'd finally go and, you know, you'd end up going there almost every day to make sure they're remembering, you know, that you're waiting for your permit, you're waiting for your clearance. And I don't know whether it's being persistent, like I'd like to think it was being persistent (laughs) and not giving up, but they probably got really bored out of their minds (laughs) seeing this little girl come come into their office every day, nagging them. And that's probably why I got the clearance in the end, but regardless of the reason, thank God we got the clearance and were able to go full force ahead and, uh, and uh, get uh, private sector buy-in was actually way easier than, than the government's buy-in. And, yeah, can, you, can you explain uh, I, that
0: part, please, Dina? So how, how did Inja's work? You had, to, you had to get the permits from
1: the government and yes, to get and, clearance to enter into school yeah
0: and then you had the curriculum which was basically adapted from uh, a global curriculum and and the focus was on on what what kind
1: of disciplines yeah so uh entrepreneurship work readiness skills and financial literacy so these programs were all arabized and then we had to adapt them also to fit, suit the egyptian culture and get clearance on them from the government once we did we need to get the buy-in of private sector because private sector would give us volunteers and would help to sponsor these programs at the schools. So what you're doing initially is you're bridging the gap between what the public education system is graduating in terms of students and the needs of the working world, you know, driven by the private sector. There is a huge gap there. And what you do is you're bridging that gap through these programs that you're giving to students in schools and universities from a young age you're giving them the skills the knowledge um uh, that they're not uh, getting in schools so
0: the people delivering these uh these training programs were volunteers from the corporates yes great and and what what were the ages uh, basically of the of the students that you were dealing with
1: so when we first started off, it was a uh, middle school students. So let's say sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. So it was so the, kind the of ages. the middle school. They're like eight, 11 years old wow. uh, to 15. Okay. This is the first group we started with. And so the private sector's role would be uh, to uh, provide us volunteers. This was, you know, it hit. It checked off a lot of, you know, things for the private sector company where it would be your, you know, it could be like a team building activity for their team and their staff. It's also checking the box of giving back, uh, doing something that's socially responsible. And so it was really great, the involvement of the corporate. So that first year, um, that first year we had two corporates who gave us 10 volunteers from their staff that we trained on these uh, curriculums, and basically, they'd go into a classroom with a, a teaching kit, and that teaching kit has their workbook, the activity book for the students. It'll have any material that they need to teach the class, and we'd give them. We train them on that before they went into the classroom. So, what about the schools? So, How were oh, the, the schools? Okay, so, so the schools also because they were public sector schools. That was a challenge, but it helped that we had the permits to enter. Uh, but what was challenging was convincing principals to give us that activity hour in the middle of the school day, uh, like Heset and Nashat, it's called that activity okay. lesson, where they usually take, you know uh, other activities that it would become an in-jazz class. And so that was a bit of a challenge, but I'm telling you, all of this was about building relationships creating trust that's huge especially with public sector um, you know uh, it's all about relationship building and building trust because once we did that it was really amazing how they started really to see the difference in the students and really believe in the impact of the program um, nice. so you
0: became a you became a master uh, influencer basically and in a not not today's influencer, obviously, it has a different meaning. But <laughs> at the time, <laughs> so you learned you learned very early on how to walk into rooms full of uh, men of a, of a certain, let's say, background, and then being able to influence uh, at you know at, at all levels and, and get what you wanted, which was fantastic. Yeah, but
1: I ha- I have to say, I was very very fortunate. Uh, you know that year when I went on, that year when we first started and est- established and were getting the permits is when I met my partner because I when I was going on my maternity leave she came and temped for me and we really clicked and we really you know balanced each other uh, balanced each other's strengths and weaknesses. My partner, Dahlia, is maybe 10 years older than me. And so it really helped when we'd go see officials, they'd you know, speak to Dahlia and take her a lot more seriously than they did me. <laughs> but uh, so, so it really helped us in balancing things out as we grew and as we were you know, growing a team and, and all of that. And uh, of course, behind the scenes of all of this, I was growing my family i had my first baby a year and a half later i had my second baby and so it was really really a juggle i was like trying to balance and juggle between these two worlds and i feel very very fortunate and blessed that i have an amazing support system with my family uh, my mom, for example, would come and pick up my daughter at 8 o'clock in the morning before I went to the office and take care of her all day. And then when I finished wow. the office, I'd go and pick her up. Um, my husband, very much a modern-day dad, very hands-on, very involved. Uh, so I had a really good family support system. And at the same time, I had a, gr- a great support from my partner. And so really, this is the essence of what... Helped it, you know, grow and and move along, and help me not go insane through this entire process.
0: That's amazing. It's it's very much needed. I, I I hear you. I think if you don't have good support, especially from your spouse or your partner, uh, I think you know. I think that makes or break. Uh, really, it's it becomes very hard otherwise. So you've you've uh, you've worked with kids uh, for seventeen years. Okay, and, and yeah, before I was a mother, I used to think of kids in in a certain way like it didn't really concern me and uh, and okay they go to school and they study and they do their thing but then when i had kids obviously i look at things very differently a lot right i look at it like oh what are they learning what are they learning about how are they learning like at what rate are they learning what should i uh, you know what are the values that i should instill with them how should i be a role model how should i show them and not just say and and you start thinking about all these things
1: so for you how did that change you in, in a way? Well, so I was having my children as I was working with children and students, <laughs> and I'm really big on learning. That's what you know drove me and motivated me to work in, in the space of education uh, in terms of you know delivering these programs because we would really see firsthand the impact it would have, like the students in the classroom wouldn't believe themselves that a volunteer, not a teacher from a company is coming into their classroom to teach them like every Monday at eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning. You could see in their eyes like that sparkle. Uh, They they want to know more about that volunteer, learn more about them, learn from them, because This was someone very different to the norm that they're used to that's teaching them something completely new that is all about life skills. That's all about what they need to know in real life in the first place. And so these volunteers would become their role models. I can't begin to tell you. Like to the extent that years later, we'd find a lot of these students who graduated, we'd hear from them or their volunteer that they actually went and got hired and got a job at the volunteers company and that they're still in touch with this this volunteer so it's it's something you know bigger than just a class that they're giving them they become their role model they become their mentor they have someone other than you know their teacher or their parents to turn to for advice and for life advice and that's huge really Did you,
0: for example, when you were working fundraising, for instance, did you have to compromise on on some of the things you wanted to do in order to win a corporate on board? Uh, Was there an element of that, or did you really get everything you wanted?
1: Uh, No, of course, in the beginning, it's... uh... All throughout, actually, the process, it's been a very hard, having very heartfelt, transparent uh, discussions with our partner companies. And uh, it's always been about, you know, not promising the moon uh, and then under delivering. So you have to make your expectations very, very clear from the start and about what mutual added value you can both bring to the table and how you can, um, basically you know have a stronger collaboration and, um, and and just bring something of added value to the whole process when you work together
0: absolutely you so you want and obviously you wanted people to to take what you are doing seriously as well right this is not uh, something nice or something cute as you said this is something that has a lot of impact
1: yes and and that also took time because uh, they might be in the beginning, a bit skeptical about, you know, sponsoring these programs, or where are their staff going to volunteer? But uh, so it it took time really to uh, to prove to them the process and and to get them excited about it and and to see the potential that it was was serving at the end of the day.
0: So you you started a an incubator so. First, you started, you know, uh, the classes in the schools with the volunteers and the corpus, And then you decided to take it one step further and you wanted to help uh, young people start businesses. So I guess it came as a natural step. But but how was that process as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting how it happened, because so we started in 2003 and all throughout, you know, we're, uh, you know, growing in schools and growing in universities. And, um, you know, uh, building this entrepreneurial mindset and culture through our programs. And we were delivering a lot of programs at universities. And we found that a lot of our alumni kind of caught the entrepreneurial bug, but didn't know where to go for sport or what to do. Um, and so in 2011, running this program called The Company and uh, the revolution happening and all of that, and knowing that we had a lot of you know, alumni who were really keen and eager to continue with their businesses. We got this idea that, okay, what will it take for us to really help and support them to, you know, help them with their idea and help them with their business? And how can we seed fund uh, their businesses? And from there, a startup, our accelerator was born. And so this is early 2011 and at the time, there wasn't much happening in terms of accelerators or incubators and uh, it was really amazing like that first uh, year we were able to launch maybe eight startup businesses from our accelerator and they all got seed funding that was averaging around from $5000 to maybe $20000 funding for egypt this is this is an okay yes uh,
0: Amount to kind of yes. get an idea into a minimum viable product or or some form of prototype, right? Yes, absolutely.
1: absolutely. And and where the funds so, given,
0: or or was it uh, or was it against equity or was it like a grant?
1: No, it was like a grant. So okay. uh, so so this encouraged you know a lot of. Um, Young entrepreneurs who wanted to pursue their startups to um, apply to our accelerator because we gave them a lot of exposure and uh, mentorship and trainings that really helped support them to grow and scale, and we didn't take equity from the very beginning. And and then we'd see like incredible you know results happening because we give them that first initial push um again we're a social organization socially backed as an ngo we can't take equity anyways but uh, our intention was really to give them that first push uh to to grow and scale was it inclusive like did you
0: did you get a lot of people from let's say different parts of egypt did you get men and
1: women we got people who were coming in from cairo and other governorates. um it was a mix what we didn't see a lot of were young women and so the next round the following year we put in a clause that anyone applying has to have uh, has it ha- the, their teams have to be a mix of men and women that we wouldn't be taking you know all male teams or and so and so we slowly started to see you know some girls trickling in into teams and we were always asking, like, why why aren't there more uh, young women getting involved in this? And there were a lot of cultural barriers at the time. Uh, that That was the feedback that we kept getting, like, my parents don't want me to do this, or my parents don't want me to stay up late and be working on this project with a group of boys. So it was a lot of cultural barriers to this. By the time 2015 rolled around, we started to see all... Uh, all women led teams, which was amazing. Like a lot of women led teams. And like, that was a big shift to see that happening. This brings me to something that we noticed that when you shed light on a success story, it really creates uh, a a cultural change around it. For instance, the media would highlight a certain success story. For example, we had uh, one company who had an entrepreneur out of a small town called Tanta, out of Cairo, and uh, he was uh, graduating from uh, engineering college, and his parents were absolutely appalled that he wanted to continue with his business instead of becoming an engineer and working in a stable job and becoming, you know, working at a private sector company. They were horrified. And he was really persistent and insistent on it. What he did was he recycled um, electronics. So any old electronics, computers, TVs, uh, what have you. And he'd take these certain metals and he'd have them shipped and recycled. And his business was doing really well and he wanted to continue. And he was uh, gaining success and all that. And he, he just pursued it. And it was just so amazing to see a year later, maybe a year and a half, he was nominated on Forbes as one of the 10 startups to look out for in the Arab world. That was wow. pretty amazing. What's recognition? the startup Recyclovikia. Okay. Yeah, so just by that highlight and recognition, all the young people in Tanta wanted to become like Mustafa from Recyclovikia because you know wow. he became an instant role model for them and and if i can give one more example of where i where where we noticed this cultural shift completely take take uh, shape is for instance uh, so we have been doing this for years i mean since 2003 trying to promote this mindset and culture of entrepreneurship and then in 2017 there was the Egyptian version of Shark Tank that happened, which was called Hona Shabab, and it was run on CBC, and it was like a big, you know, a big uh, popular show here in Cairo. Everybody was watching it, and I was very, very fortunate to be one of the judges on that show, on that judging panel, and it was just phenomenal to see all the examples of young entrepreneurs and startups that would come to pitch to the judging panel these incredible you know ideas that they had true change makers they were all addressing problems and 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 creating solutions through their businesses to solve these challenges that we face here in egypt and instantly overnight they, it became a popular thing to, you know, for a lot of families started to accept that, okay, you can you can, uh, try out or pursue having your own business, which was absolutely, you know, an appalling thing to do in the past. But now, I think families just watching the show, and I don't want to generalize, but really, it it really had an impact. Like, we'd see, like, Uh, such proud parents of their kids who like won on the show and won an investment and they were so proud of them and and the entrepreneur themselves would say my parents weren't accepting at all of me doing this and just so heartwarming that my parents are encouraging me and supporting me now that I went on tv and now it's become you know a very popular show and everybody's following it and data
0: by the way is backing what you're saying so my friend uh, Philip who's the founder of magnet which is the you know the platform where you can get a lot of uh, startup and investment data yeah. so obviously in Egypt there has been uh, a couple of interesting uh, events recently one there was uh, an acquisition of uh, of a Muslim dating yes. app, harmonica uh, they were yes. they were on
1: the show they won the, on the show of the. No Hula way. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so so they got acquired by match.com which is which is a global player which was uh, pretty interesting. And another thing obviously was uh, the company Fawry which is a, a payments company which uh, which IPO'd uh, on the Egyptian stock exchange and uh, and I have some notes here so basically the report said that uh, in 2019 Egypt had a record-breaking year in terms of number of deals. So you had 142 investments in startup Uh, which is 26% over 2018, and $95 million uh, in terms of investment value, which is 13% more than in 2018. So so it's looking very promising. So obviously, uh, things are starting to
1: change. And honestly, I don't see why not. It's a huge market. No, I mean, entrepreneurship is booming here. I mean, in the past just couple of years, we've seen... So many accelerators pop up. It's, it's been really glow, growing and fl- flourishing with accelerators, uh, new VCs coming in, new investment coming in. I know
0: that you recently uh, stepped down of the operations uh, of the day-to-day and you remain on the board of, uh, of Injaz. And that was a very recent decision. Mm. So, uh, so what are you thinking
1: well i mean uh, this is my baby of 17 years and you can't step away from your baby but you kind of transition to a different role and so uh, myself and my partner we transitioned into more of a strategic board member role going forward and we were very fortunate to have someone who is a former colleague of ours lead the operations uh, moving forward um in terms of you know what's what's next um so i I'm, I'm still mentoring and supporting entrepreneurs, especially women led businesses and women entrepreneurs and it's you know something very satisfying and very rewarding for me and something you know uh I enjoy doing a lot and um at the same time just continuing to make also sw- some small investments and just i guess enjoying this phase of yeah, sure. i mean since the world the entire world is on Pause (laughs) and slow down. This is the time to slow down after running and, you know, being in this uh, race for so many years. Um, It's, uh, you know, you you need to know when it's time to kind of slow down and take things easy.
0: (laughs) I follow you on social media and I sense that you're very much interested in uh, how can I improve myself or better myself and how can
1: I help others that's the that's the sense that I that I get absolutely yes I mean that's that's something I just you know really feel that it made a difference for me over the past 17 years in this career um, a big part of it is getting your mindset right because as entrepreneurs running businesses we all go through this mental and emotional roller coaster and never no one ever Teaches it really it teaches us how to deal with it. You kind of learn as you go, and um, and there's a lot of fear that comes in. Of You're managing day to day and responsibility over you know your team and salaries and things like that. So that's a load on you. You you notice that there's these limiting beliefs that maybe you need to rewire that are you know keeping you back and holding you back from reaching your fullest potential. So these are all things that you know i've taken great interest in just because you know having lived li- lived that experience i felt uh working on yourself personally like developing yourself has really paid off in a sense what are some of your learnings from those uh, 17 years yeah so a lot and of from motherhood also uh, yeah and from motherhood and raising a family and you Trying to balance between these two worlds, for example, we'd be faced by a problem, my partner and I, or whatever, and like it's, it looks like it's we're doomed or something, you know. And our, my first reaction would be, it's going la we, oui, the world is coming to an end, you know, and panicking and get all stressed. So this is one thing I found in like dealing with issues that come to us: it's not to panic. To come to it with a calm mind, which is often very hard to do, but you kind of have to disattach yourself emotionally from the issue. Because when you're emotionally tied to this issue or this challenge, sometimes you won't make clear decisions. So you have to emotionally detach, take a step back. How do you okay? emotionally As- detach?
0: You tell yourself, for example, like, it's, it's not about me, I, you know, I shouldn't take it
1: personally, or... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, like this one time we had to, we had uh, our our funds frozen because as an NGO, you know, sometimes you have to get uh, clearances and these clearances can take longer than usual and they disrupt your cash flow completely. And it's really out of anyone's control or out of your hands. And um, so... Because it's out of control and out of your hands, you really need to emotionally detach yourself and understand it's not in your control. You you have to do everything you can to solve this and and think to yourself, okay, this is what we'll do in scenario A. This is what we'll do in scenario B. Worst worst case scenario, this is what's going to happen. Okay. And also because you can get very emotional in things in in your business. Like for example, we had a high-ranking minister once tell us what we're doing is a complete waste of time. Wow. And and at a young age, you'd be totally susceptible to to listen to this person and their high-ranking official. They must be right. We what we must what we're doing must be a waste of time. But actually. What it did was do the opposite and really drove us to prove that what we're doing isn't a waste of time. In fact, it's, it's the most important thing we should be doing is empowering and impacting uh, the young people that we're working with. So it kind of drove us. To prove the opposite. And another thing is to always have a positive outlook on things. And so when you're faced with these challenging challenges where we'd go, "Yallah, we it's almost iba, it's the end of the world. Uh, besides like the stepping back, emotionally detaching, thinking of worst case scenario plans and being okay with that, is really having faith. I think faith is a very important element, you know, and, and just work through this darkness this dark you know time and that something good is going to come because life is about cycles there are cycles where you're up on top of the world there's cycles where you're 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 down and you feel like it's the end of the world and nothing good is gonna come of this Uh, look at us in COVID, and corona I mean everybody is uh, a lot of people are feeling this uh, you know uh, downward spiral and it's really about having faith that something good is gonna come at the end of this and always maintain this positive mindset and belief that uh, have faith and because God's got your back. Like I'm a believer in that and it's really helped us a lot. And uh, I, I mean, finally, I always love to say that, you know, when you practice and do the internal work on the inside, you become strong on the inside. So when you're strong on the inside, you're invincible on the outside. When you're strong on the inside, you're invincible on the outside. Yes, yes. And that's why I feel it's a lot of, you know, it's all about personal growth, working on your mindset, working on becoming mentally strong, emotionally strong. That's the core essence. Of this journey that you take on, and I mean, you know, your work also is reflected in your life, and life is reflected in your work, and it's all about building yourself and developing yourself as a person. Great uh, learnings and and great
0: tips, Dina. I'm sure it comes with uh, with maturity as well, and it comes with experience. Uh, I, I'm sure if I had asked you this uh, when you started in jazz, obviously it would have been a completely different uh, set of recommendations. <laughs>
1: Completely, I, yeah. yes. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to recommend anything back then. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, one thing, though, I mean, I agree with you in terms of the self-development. It's definitely something that has helped me personally. And, you know, there was a period in my life uh, around the time when I was starting Nebish. I was reading a lot of self-help books because I felt like emotionally I wasn't in a very good stage. And uh, and I was reading a lot. And I think as a result, you know, you you have the power, as you said, to to change things and and change your mindset, irrespective of how old you are. It's not you don't have to be 40 or 50 or whatever. No, no, not at all. Not at all. to yeah i understand that and 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 the other thing actually that i do usually when when I have anxiety about something like you know when something out of control happens uh, which happens a lot by the way and you know in entrepreneurship there's always a you know for every high there's a there's a low and and this is not not something I thought about, but actually someone gave me that uh, advice and he is also an entrepreneur and he told me you know when you're feeling so anxious, give yourself a time limit so say I'm anxious, like I'm very upset about X, Y, Z, and I'm gonna allow myself—I don't know—one hour
1: yeah. of like me yeah. dwelling
0: on it and and being
1: pissed off about it and and exactly. blaming myself and hating myself. Exactly, that's that. really that's really important because we get stuck in these negative thought loops, and so Absolutely. that's a great way uh, yeah. of handling something like this, where you just you're you're gonna. Take this hour or two, and you yeah. just put, you know, all your thoughts on paper of everything you know that's troubling yeah. you, or you yeah. know, all all this that you're going yeah. through, and yeah. dedicate the time to think about that, and then move on.
0: Even if it's a situation maybe you have no control over, but uh, but but still you can you can acknowledge it, be upset about it, and then and then you move on. Sometimes, like on that same night, you know, I'd be thinking, okay, let me let me. Let me take an extra half an hour of me being upset about it. The thoughts, <laughs> the thoughts just come back to my mind. Come right back in.
1: Of course, of course. Exactly. Negative Sometimes thoughts, just yeah? They just, uh, they just come back right in. They consume you. They, they consume, consume your the space in your mind. Absolutely. Something that can help get you out of it is a mentor who can talk you through it, and when you discuss it with someone else that's more experienced, like a mentor or, you know, uh, someone who's had previous experience, it really helps get you through this and gets yeah. you out of your head.
0: Absolutely. So on that note, do you, I always like to ask my guests if they have any recommendations in terms of books that let's say have made an impact on you or in terms of uh, tools that you use so uh, so uh, i don't know like one of my guests told me that she uses uh, inside timer for example which is like a meditation app and it helps her so i don't know do you have any
1: uh, any recommendations yeah what's helped me like uh, is is when you find anything that will get you to unplug My something that got me to unplug and de-stress is always sports. I love sports. I love to run and bike and do anything outdoors. And that really helps in, you know, you unwind, you unplug, you de-stress, and you're in flow and you're in the zone where you're in that hobby or activity or sport that you enjoy. And I think practicing mindfulness is also something very beneficial. Uh, There's lots of apps that can help you do that. uh, and it 's being in silence, really being in silence really helps clear your mind being in nature helps clear your mind uh, and another thing I would say is like books, of course like uh, i I like jim quick 's uh, Bec- uh, limitless uh book that 's really interesting it 's all about you know uh, uh, how how to learn better, how to grow better, how to you know expand your mind and uh that, that was a really great one. Code of an Extraordinary Mind by uh, Vishen Lakhiani uh, talking about, you know, our belief systems that hold us back. Um, so there are many amazing tools out there. It's all about, you know, getting your mind, your body, and your soul really aligned. Honestly, I believe in that. Dina, on, on, on that
0: thought, I think uh, I'd like to... Thank you so much for uh, thank you for uh, joining me today and for sharing the story of Injaz and uh, I'm gonna be looking forward to see you know what uh, what's next for you and how you're going to take all <laughs> that learning and how it's going to come out on the other <laughs> end. Uh, Thanks
1: Lulu. Such I'm, I'm a sure, pleasure uh,
0: I'm sure your I'm sure your you. kids uh, uh, see you
1: as a as a big role model um, uh, to, <laughs> you to them. You should ask them. they two of them are going into their teens now. Wow! <laughs> You'll get a lot of eye rolling. <laughs>
0: So thank you everybody that was watching. That was episode ten of Conversations with Lulu, a very special episode with a with a great friend, uh, Dina Mufti. He's a great entrepreneur uh, from Egypt. As usual, if you like the show, please subscribe and uh, and please recommend us to your friends. The show is available on all podcast platforms, and also the video interview is available on YouTube under Conversations with Lulu. Thank you very much, everyone. Until next time, stay safe, everybody. Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's dot com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today.